My name is Ryan Miner. I'm the host of a Minor Detail podcast. I report on Maryland political news at a minordetail.com. A Minor Detail is a startup media outlet dedicated to bringing Marylanders a multimedia experience. Our platform is painstakingly fair. We're nonpartisan and independent. We're not beholden to donors or big advertisers. We're interested in the facts in every story. We're interested in finding the truth. This year, A Minor Detail and its podcast turns five years old. A Minor Detail covers trending Maryland political news. We keep politicians honest, we don't play favorites, and we certainly don't bullshit you. We encourage you to support local news, and it's up to you to decide how to use it and how to make sense of it. Now, let's talk about the news. So thank you all for joining a Minor Detail podcast. Delegate Smith, you're a veteran of this show. We recorded a podcast earlier this year in Annapolis in February pre-COVID. So we sat down in the back of Harry Brown's and had a wonderful discussion all about uh, what's happening in Baltimore and what's happening on your committees. And I wanted to let you know I invited each of you for a very specific reason, and you graciously accepted my invitation because I view all of you as incredible, relentless, um, principled, tireless advocates and champions in the same mold as the late United States Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who died Friday at the age of 87. Three of you on the panel tonight went to law school and became lawyers and later state lawmakers. That is Delegate Smith, Delegate Learman, and Delegate Love. Each of you have stood out in your own right. You have defied incredible odds, and you have taken on powerful interests. And I think it's fair to say you have taken on powerful men, and you have come out on the better end of that. Amy, you are a Harvard Law School student. You share the same alma maters as the late Justice Ginsburg, Cornell, and Harvard. You ran for state delegate in 2018 in District 15, and you nearly came close to an upset, and you know you surprised a hell of a lot of people. You have a magnificent career ahead of you. Sherry, you have spent your career in politics and communications battling the good old boys network. And just in the last four years, you have shown the world that not even the president of the United States of America or Roger Stone or Michael Caputo or anybody else can silence you. And I should mention that Sherry just started a brand new podcast and it's called Politics with Sherry Jacobus. It's awesome. She breaks she has so much insider information to break down. I encourage you to, to subscribe and listen to it. And Cassie Conklin, you are a dogged, determined, and uncompromising investigative journalist covering an area of the country that I think is far undercovered. And this is an area of the country that I think is still misunderstood. And unfortunately, this area of the country still harbors sentiments of racism and sexism and homophobia. And you are doing your absolute best to uncover those <laughs> those issues and talk about this openly and honestly. So to everyone joining the panel and watching tonight, I I am I'm this is a this is a gift to me as the host of this podcast to have such extraordinarily accomplished women to join this panel. So thank you all for for tuning in and I want to talk about uh the late Justice Ginsburg. Friday night I was in Frederick, uh, my wife and I uh, we, we got out of the house on Friday afternoon, and she said, I just need to go for a drive. I said, good, let's get in the car and go. So we took 28 all the way up into Buckystown, and I asked her, I said, are you hungry? We were sitting in the parking lot of Texas Roadhouse 
when we heard the news. And and I and I mean this sincerely. I got the notification on my phone. I had to look twice. And I showed my I said and I I literally just stopped. I said, "Oh my god, it took this moment took my breath away." I think it's one of those moments where we're going to remember where we were. Just like 9/11, just like the passing of, you know, a president or a historic figure. This was such a shell-shocking moment. And I know that Justice Ginsburg had been sick for some time and she had been in and out of the hospital, but still, I, I don't think any of us were ready for this. Uh, she had become a cultural icon. She had led such an extraordinary life. She had stood up for women's rights. And so I want to go down the line and I want to start with you, Amy. Uh, I, I want to get your reaction to her death. What, what are your thoughts and feelings? Yeah, so um, I had just finished up. I'm sorry, that's my dog barking. Um, I had just finished up Rosh Hashanah dinner um, with my family when um, I received a text message from an aunt who lives in Michigan, and um, and she broke the news to me. And it was the same aunt who um, a couple of years ago had gotten me like a, a tote bag with a picture of RBG's face on it with like, what would RBG do basically? Um, I think it was, it was pretty shortly after I had gotten into to law school as like a nice little gift, but just the fact that it happened on the, on the eve of, of Rosh Hashanah just kind of added an extra, um, it just made it a little bit more shocking. And um, it's been going around on social media that according to uh, Jewish tradition, a person who dies on Rosh Hashanah um, is a, considered a tzaddik, a person of great righteousness. Um, and I think that describes Justice Ginsburg um, quite perfectly. She made such an impact on, on so many people. And um, she she paved the, the path that, that I walked. I mean, she... Um, you know, with withstood so many difficulties and had so many barriers um, when she was when she was in school and as as a young attorney. And um, I, I have her to to thank for um, you know being able to to do um, what I've done and uh, you know what I continue to do. Have you heard from any of your classmates? And I don't know. Are you? I'm not sure where you are, or if you're back in the classroom, or if you uh, are back in Boston and Cambridge. But um, what uh, what what will be the reaction at Harvard? Um, I mean, a lot of people are are shocked. Um, there are a few student organizations that are co-sponsoring um, a, a virtual showing of um, of one of the documentaries about her um, in her honor. So I know that that's happening with um, the uh, the chapter of ACS and ACLU and, and some other organizations. Um, and uh, yeah, I think I think most people are are, are shocked, um, and even students who um, are, are more conservative see the the impact that she's made um, on on the legal profession and on on rights, women's rights, and and other rights as well. Um, and there are some students who are pointing out that you know even though she made a, a great impact, um, she was she was human, and so. There are some decisions that she made that that some students, um, you know, don't agree with, um, and and point out those those flaws. But yeah. um, I think overall, as a whole, everyone uh, or many people are are um, you know sad, and we can see that um, you know even in front of the Supreme Court, people who are 
who live near near DC have paid their respects. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a it's a sad moment. Yeah, Delegate Smith from Baltimore, you graduate of Howard University, uh, an amazing place. Uh, you're you're an incredibly accomplished state lawmaker, and are you still the the chairman of the or the chairwoman rather of the the Baltimore delegation? Yep, so far. <laughs> so far, yeah, so far. What was your reaction? Well, I was watching um, Joy Reid, you know, and she had to interrupt the course of what she was talking about to deliver that news and didn't know that, you know, it was going to be the, the next words coming out of um, her mouth. And I, I think, um, as you noted earlier, despite the fact that she's been, you know, battling serious illnesses, you know, um, over the years, yeah. um, I think the fact that she's just seemed so resilient you just kind of never thought, you know, it was going to really happen because she'd already been beating so many odds, you know, um, just a little bit of trivia. Um, I, um, Brooke and Sarah may also be members, but um, Phi Alpha Delta, the legal fraternity, um, she actually um, swore me and several hundred other people in um, when I was in law school um, on the steps of the Supreme Court. So she was very tiny. We could barely see her, <laughs> but, you know, she did do that for us. So that's a little bit of trivia and that's really um Awesome. Um, but I wanted to lift up um, particularly that she was someone that was very aware of the history that she was living and making, but she was also very sensitive um, to the history she was inheriting. And um, in, in case people are not um, familiar with um, Polly Murray, she was an alumnus of Howard Law, um, a, a little heralded, you know, legal scholar and theorist around matters of civil rights and gender equality. And, um, you know, when Justice Ginsburg, and then, you know, an attorney, you know, files her first Supreme Court brief in 1971, Reed versus Reed, and it was the first time that the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment was applied to gender discrimination. And though Holly Murray didn't write one word of that brief, she's listed as a co-author because, you know, she knew this is a woman, a Black woman, a queer Black woman, who was toiling in the background of civil rights and, and, uh, and gender rights and was really, you know, popularizing these, these theories, but was never going to kind of get that same opportunity to, to be acknowledged. And I think that um, says a lot about um, her understanding of the history she was inheriting at the same time she was making history. And I just hope in my own way um, to always be kind of aware of the shoulders upon which I stand as I move forward in my life. And I think that is um, something that says a lot about the character of who she was and who she was as a, as a jurist, as an attorney, and just as a, a great, in my opinion, great patriot. Well, thank you yes. for that. And I want to move over to Delegate Sarah Love of District 16. She represents Bethesda and uh, I think mostly Bethesda, right? Oh, you're muted. <laughs> Let me unmute you. We never want to mute them. Mistake. I know yeah. better than that. <laughs> um, yes, but there's a little bit of Chevy Chase, a little bit of Potomac. Delegate Love, uh, Amy earlier mentioned the ACLU. You used to uh, be the uh, the ACLU of Annapolis. It was uh, you are no uh, notorious. I, I can I think I can use that phrase in a good way. Um, I'll take that. Uh, right. As a as a proud civil libertarian myself who truly champions individual rights and rights for um, for everyone and especially civil liberties, you have stood on so many cases and defended people's civil liberties in some of just uniquely tough cases in a legislative way. Um, 
you have been uh, a, a great lawyer yourself and have accomplished so much. What was your reaction? Well, first, Ryan, thank you for those kind words. I, I appreciate them and I'm honored to be with this great group. Um, I was standing outside as I mentioned to folks earlier, before we started, I was just at my niece's wedding, very small wedding, everything outdoors in Northern Michigan. Um, so it was cold and we were all standing outside when someone said it. And, and like you, Ryan, I just stopped. I, I felt like the world just stopped and I couldn't comprehend what had just been said to me. And I just sort of stood there in shock and then sort of went on the rest of my day and or evening, um, the rehearsal dinner. And then as I got in bed that night, I was just so profoundly sad, sad for our loss of, of her as a human, as we've talked about, as her as a, as a jurist, as her as an icon, um, and sad for our country because she really, as Delegate Smith said, understood you know, the shoulders that she stood on and the history that she was making. Um, and you know, what she did at and for the ACLU was incredible and in how she took Justice, or then Thurgood Marshall's strategy for civil rights. And she built on that for women's rights and fighting against discrimination. I mean, she was brilliant and also recognizing her own humanity and her own need of other people and to build on what they had done. I mean, she, she was incredible. And so I'm just, I'm so profoundly sad. I really am. Not only do I feel that because I, I was one of those weird kids back in the nineties that enjoyed watching meet the press when I was about five or six years old, because as, as a Catholic family, we would get up early in the morning, and on Sundays, I would have to, uh, every Sunday, I'd go to Sunday school, and then I would get back, and then Meet the Press would come on, and then we would go to Mass from, like, like 12 till 1, and then after Mass was some sort of lunch, and this was Sunday, and I just remember back in the early 90s when Bill Clinton nominated her, and I listened to an interview this morning uh, with Jake Tapper on uh, his sh Sunday show, I think it's State of the Union, at 9 o'clock, and he had President Clinton on this morning and talked okay. about the process. And Jake Tapper is one of my favorite journalists because he's not afraid to step up and ask really honest-to-God tough questions. Delegate Learman, uh, you, you've, you've had a magnificent career so far, and uh, you know I, I, I look for you uh, in the future to either become some sort of statewide elected official or possibly governor. So, uh, and I know I'm not making any, you know, she's probably like, please don't say anything, Ryan, because there's no plans out there. Um, but uh, no, I'm serious. I think you have a truly bright future ahead of you, and I'm very excited for that. What is your reaction to the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg? Sure. Well, thank you very much, Ryan, for having me on tonight. It's really an honor to share the Zoom screen uh, with all with my colleagues and Amy and Cassie and Sherry. Thank you for having me. Um, you know, I think I know I had the same reaction as Sarah and Stephanie and Amy and others. I, I was making dinner 
and looked over at my iPhone. It was on the, you know, I heard a little buzz and I looked at it, my kids were playing and I sort of screamed like, you know, I had an exclamation. I was like, oh my God, or oh no. And my kids sort of froze, you know, um, because they were scared. And I was like, oh, it's okay, it's okay. But then I just stopped and I turned off the stove and I went down to find my husband. And I was like, you know, we had to talk about it because I needed I needed time to stop for a moment um, to, to process it. Um, because, you know, like Delegate Love said, it's, it's heartbreaking. And, you know, I, you know, and as Delegate Smith said, she was this such an, an incredibly imaginative and incredibly amazing justice and human. Um, and I think, you know, she was such a role model, I think, for I'm guessing all the women here and you, Ryan, and others, other lawyers, because she did this, she had an amazing ability to both be incredibly strategic and so human, right? She never forgot about the fact that the legal cases that she was advocating for or that she was deciding on were about somebody's life and that they were going to change somebody's life and probably many people's lives. And that it wasn't just words on a page and it wasn't just arguments in a big hall or courtroom. It was about making people's lives better. And for her, that was about making people's lives more equal and ensuring that there was more equality among the genders uh, and among the sexes. And, and she you know, was so strategic about it and was very good at, at sometimes meeting people where they are, right? And saying, well, I wanna prove that the, you know, women and men are equal. And so I'm gonna take a case where a man was wronged, right? To demonstrate that men should have the same treatment as women, like she did in the Reed case. And, uh, you know, and she often brought her justices along, right? So in the VMI case, which um, the Virginia Military Institute case, um, where they really raised the standards for how to examine a sex discrimination case in uh, federal court, um, it was a seven to one decision. You know, she brought justices with her um, and she wrote the majority opinion in that case. So she was incredibly strategic and that made her so effective. Um, but part of her strategy was ensuring that people didn't forget that a court case is about a human being. It's about a life. It's about a story. Um, and at the end of the day, these court cases are being brought by advocates who want to make people's lives better. And she did. And, you know, I think I'll miss hearing that humanity from the bench and hearing her earnestness and urgency about making people's lives better from her opinions. So a huge loss to women and to society um, because society does better when women do better. And and so, you know, it's a huge loss for all of us. Yeah. And I, I was always struck by, as you said, her humanity, especially with someone who she aggressively and vehemently opposed uh, on the court, uh, Justice Antonin Scalia, who, who died in February of 2016. And I was always struck by their just wonderful friendship. And that comes to show us that politics or in, or in the courts uh, with people who have fervent partisan and political ideological disagreements can still love one another and, and cherish one another's friendship. And I just remember, th- you know, I think it was a quote from Scalia, and they, they talked about their friendship. And he said, 
it, she's more than a vote. Yeah, she's uh, yeah, she's a person, and she's and they were just such dear friends. And when they went to, they loved opera and music, and they went to, they went overseas. And there's this wonderful picture of them on top of an elephant uh, together, and uh, that that friendship always struck me. Sherry, you've been in. Uh, you've worked on in Republican politics, and then in 2016, like many of us, said, "What the heck happened?" And we, you know, it, it's just it, it's bizarro land recently in politics. But Sherry, from you know your your long career in in politics and communications, and as a columnist, and now a podcaster, what what do you make of this? What 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 is your reaction to losing Ruth Bader Ginsburg in such a critical time in our nation's history? Well, I'm a longtime political operative. I'm a bit of a cynic. And so I'm listening to everybody talk about her life and what her life meant. And I, when I heard the news, I instantly knew that the earth had shifted beneath us and that this campaign season was going to change instantly. And I was thinking of her and how hard she had tried to hang on. And that was really the only reason she was hanging on, because she knew that she had to like literally keep breathing until after this election or after inauguration. She knew how important this was. And then we found out almost immediately that she had dictated a statement to her granddaughter for public release. My my most fervent wish is that I not be replaced until a new president is installed. And so you can't help but wonder the, I mean, it's bad enough dying, of course, and being sick and knowing that your days are ending, but but knowing she knew what this was going to mean uh, to the country and the world. And the fact that she was dying and that she wanted to hang on just a little bit longer uh, if for no other reason than to not have uh, this chaos um, as voting has already started in this, you know, election day, as we called, is actually the last day of voting. Voting has started. So when I think about um, what that must have been like for her in her final days and final hours, knowing um, what her death was going to mean, aside from just signifying the end of a brilliant career and a life very well lived and an amazing human being, but the actual timing of her death. And that was something she could not control. Um, so for me, you know, I have thought of that from her, from a personal aspect. And um, it, was, it did throw us into chaos, into this turmoil. And um, what we're about, <laughs> a season we're about to enter that no one expected. That's uh, just, I mean, it's crazy. It's nuts. Yeah. I, you know? I think that like Delegate Love said, there was sadness. I I not only felt that, but I I, I felt an overwhelming sense of dread. That uh, yes. I I just looked. Oh, at, yeah. I looked Sorry. at my wife in in the yeah. passenger seat as we were waiting to to pick up our dinner, and I said, and we both said almost at the same time, this is going to be really bad, and yeah. because we yeah. know what's ahead of us, we know what's. We know the nastiness, and I said, "What I'm going to do is I'm going to go. We're going to go home." And I said, "I don't know about you, but I said I'm I'm going to turn on MSNBC, and I'm going to watch what happens. I'm not going to read Twitter because it's going to upset me. Because I'm I, 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 at the core, I I believe in humanity, and we've lost some of that sense. I think in the last couple of years in politics, it used to not be like this. When someone died, whether you disagree with them or not, we didn't have to preface statements with, "Well, you know, I was a Democrat, you know, and she she passed these." It's like what happened to the statement was she was a huge she was a giant in our in our in our country and paved the path we don't need this prefaces we don't need to preface our statements with our politics first we are human beings first 
And that just, that's, that's alarming. Cassie. Well, that was how, yeah. I was going to say, Cassie, uh, my Facebook status on Friday night, you, you pointed out, you said, you know, I'm trying to paint this scene, but you, that it's really hard to put into words what she meant to you. And you just, you had such a, uh, just a, a visceral reaction. Like I think most of us felt that night. Talk about that. What was that, what's that moment like for you? Yeah, you know, everyone's right. Um, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg means more than just her name and, and her position. And, you know, we, we know all of this um, and that her loss is so significant for so many reasons. Um, but, you know, the reason that it is so significant is because we are letting authoritarianism creep into our country. The reason that this is such a moment is not simply because a giant passed, you know, it's because of where our country is headed. And, you know, my visceral reaction is, you know, we watched this happen. Radicalism, you know, grew day by day. Um, you know, we sat silent at dinner tables. We, we let this uh, devolve to such a point in such a place that the death of this one woman uh, will radically change our union. And so as much as I'm mourning her, and I certainly am, um, my poor partner had to leave me alone for about 24 hours while I, you know, cried hysterically in my office. Um, you know, my real fear is where we go from here. And that's not to pivot from her um, because we need to honor her. I, I hate that, that within an hour, we're already worried about the entire, you know, state of our union, but, my reaction is is one of just deep and great concern um, and of deep responsibility, personal responsibility, thinking about all of the things um, I should have been doing to honor her life while she was still here. And many of those things would have um, made a difference such that her death wouldn't be such an impact. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's this real moment of reflection. Um, and yeah, I, I put out several sort of like smoke signal Facebook posts about, you know, this is this is not just the death of a person. This could potentially be the death of a nation. Um, and we, we really need to get our heads in the game about that. I appreciate you sharing that experience and that moment. I, I sent it, it right around the time that it happened. I sent a text to my now 13 year old daughter and I said, did you see the news? And many of you are parents here and I know that um, my my kids are they're very politically astute they're following along and they they love politics and they follow very closely and we're and we're very lucky because Montgomery County Public Schools integrates that into their curriculum and um, we're, we're fortunate that our kids are love politics and um, who knows what they're gonna go on but my daughter um, she she asked me and I and she said, what does this mean? And I said, honestly, I don't know. I, and she said, well, I'm, I'm worried. And I, I, as a parent, sometimes you just, I don't have the right answers all the time. I, I don't, you can comfort, you can explain it. And people might say, oh, you know, he's overreacting. This is so over the top. No, it's not. Um, we're at the precipice of, we can, we're at a crossroads. And in 44 days, we are as a country are going to decide who we are and 
we have a decision to make. The politics of it are concerning because we see politicians who made statements four years ago lay it all out there and say, you know, people like Lindsey Graham, who has sacrificed every last bit of dignity that to his name to support someone that he just in 2016 could have not been nastier to and had unkind things to say. You got to wonder <clears throat> what's happened to, to people and their integrity. I mean, we're literally counting on our fingers the number of possible Republicans who could dig deep down and find not only the political courage, but the the human courage to do the right thing and say, let's just wait until 45 days and we can hold off and see what this is going to become because it's probably the right thing to do. And so far, two have come out, Lisa Murkowski and Susan Collins. And I think we're all looking at Mitt Romney because he was uh, <clears throat> he voted for the impeachment. And all of you make great astute points. Where, where are we in a country where we have to rely on, you know, a, a, one senator or two to turn the course of history just to dial it back from an entire group of people who have left their convictions at the door and are not afraid to be hypocrites. It no longer matters that they're hypocrites. It matters that they can exercise their political will. And I've heard them on the Sunday talk shows spin themselves <coughs> into an oblivion and a pretzel with their logic. Like, I've never heard anything like this, and it's insulting to the American people. We're smarter than this. We, 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 are, we owe better explanations about why they are so willing to bend and break and be hypocritical. And it comes down to politics and power. So I think the, <clears throat> I think the quickest Supreme Court nominee in history was confirmed in, what, 43-some days, some, something like that. And what's the harm in waiting till after the election? It's just we wrap up. Um, if anybody, and this is all skate, so anybody who wants to take this, um, please chime in. What's going to happen? Are we going? Is the president going to? If he nominates someone, which he's probably expected to do, and I think he's, it looks like the leading contender is what Amy, Amy Coney Barrett. I think that's her name, and who who knows who he picks? I wouldn't be surprised if he picked another white male. I mean, who who knows? We we had Kavanaugh, and then we had. Gorsuch, and we know what the Kavanaugh hearing looked like. That was a disaster uh, on multiple fronts. And where was the Republican senators to say, you know what, this guy does not have the temperament. And let me just say that as women, and I've watched many of you, your careers, I've watched you in hearings, I've, I've probably tracked you down when you didn't want to be tracked down in the hallways to ask questions, and I've, I've, I've sent email. But if one of you acted like Brett Kavanaugh in a hair. What do you think your your male counterparts would say? I, I, yeah, you're shaking your heads, and it's honest to God. Think about She's it. Hysterical. She doesn't have the <clears throat> temperament to be on the court. That's what they would say. I think yeah. it's so brutally it's unfair. It's so brutally too emotional. Unfair. Too emotional. Yep. And and all of you have yeah, experienced. Yeah, Kamala it. Harris made Brett Kavanaugh cry. I mean, that's that's reason enough uh, to vote for a Biden Harris ticket when Kamala Harris <laughs> makes Brett Kavanaugh cry. Amen. It's like, <laughs> That is a sight to see. Yeah. yeah, bring it. I want to bring up one more hot potato, and I, I know many of you have to go, and I'm we're, we'll jump off in just a moment, and I'm going to begin this latter half of this interview with Cassie, who we're going to talk all about Western Maryland politics. Um, 
as we, uh, uh, I, I'm, I'm sort of at a loss for words, which is not common, but I am, I'm fearful because this is supposed to be a, a the death of a of an icon, um, of a cultural icon, even uh, in this era, in, in the Trump era. We know that these people don't do the right thing. We know that there is always some hidden agenda, and I know that the 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 big five hundred pound elephant in the room is. I think that there is cause to, for concern that Roe v. Wade is in jeopardy. I mean, we're talking about a fundamental right that women have to make their own decisions about their own bodies. And I look at my 13-year-old daughter, and God forbid that there ever were the situation that she were in, that she would have the legal right to make that decision with the love and support of her family. And I know it's a, it's a, it's a tough issue to talk about. Nope, I mean, it's really, really tough. But as a man, I don't have that problem. As women, th- that's a scary thought. And with someone like Tom Cotton, who already has has decried and thrown out the litmus test if you don't talk about Roe v. Wade or your position, or someone like Ted Cruz, I mean, this is clown. This is clown stuff. I mean, think about it. To put Ted Cruz, who is one of the biggest partisan hacks in the country, or Tom Cotton, who, you know, there is not a... There is not a tank that he doesn't want to send over t- seas to start a-, a third world war. I mean, this is just madness. To even put those names in the mouth of the president of the United States when talking about a Supreme Court nominee, that's horrifying because they're not qualified. They're partisans. And that is not what our judicial branch does. And to me, that's scary. And if anybody wants to take it out on a higher note, please. But I don't want to be somber and I certainly don't want to be bleak. But I don't know what else to think when we've seen madness for the last four years. So if anybody else wants to comment. You know, I have, this is Sherry. Yeah, I have, a, this is Sherry. I have, a, I have a, an idea for Mitt Romney, and this might sound like it puts more chaos into it, but it, it stalls it a little bit. It might kick the can down the road, but at least we'll have a clearer view of what a voters want as they go to the polls now. Remember, a, the election day is the last day they can cast a vote. They're voting now which is ridiculous enough that we're even considering uh, putting up a name for, to, for, for Supreme Court justice. But Mitt Romney could say, you know what, I will, I, will not, I will not vote, I will not consider voting or entering this process until we have uh, whoever is going to win the special election in Arizona. Once we have that, the person who wins the special election in Arizona, John McCain's old Senate seat, sworn in, then, you know, then then I'll consider it. Then I'll consider a, a nominee and he can still vote. No, he can still, you know, kick the can down the road then. But at that point, we'll probably have Mark Kelly, who, who's right. going to be defeating Martha McSally. Uh, it does kick it down until past the election. And then everybody can look around and see what the landscape looks like. Uh, was it a bloodbath? Uh, has Trump been defeated? Um, how, what does the new makeup of the Senate look like? And then you kind of start from a clean slate. You could have the defeated senators just out of revenge, just want to blow up the world and do whatever. But at least I think people will have a clearer view of what's ahead of them. And that might be something that Mitt Romney can do to just kind of stall things for a while and just say, let's wait until the special election uh, has taken place and we have that person. Mitt Romney has come through in the past and who knows what's 
what's going to happen. However, in fairness, I want to say that Mitt Romney did say that he would have voted for Brett Kavanaugh had he been in the United States Senate, which kind of leads me to pause and say, well, what's what is he going to do? I know that Mitt Romney has been able to to rise up and defy the stereotype of the follow in the same tracks as Trump, but still, it what I think we have to ask hard questions it's about very our, conservative. I mean, he's a pro life. I, I mean, he's very conservative. I, even if he's not yeah. you know, going to buy into all of Trump's tactics or follow along blindly, he still believes. You know, he has core beliefs, and one of his core fundamental beliefs is that he is very anti-abortion. And so he, you know, I, I would expect him to support somebody like Brett Kavanaugh or uh, any other Trump nominee, because those are the people that he wants to be on the Supreme Court, because that's, you know, those are his fundamental political beliefs. I so. do want to, I do want to, and thank you, Delegate Learman. I do want to mention that Delegate Love represents Brett Kavanaugh and Justice John Roberts yeah. in the state, in the state <laughs> and house. And Merrick Garland. And right? Merrick. And, oh, and Merrick Garland. I, yeah. I met him when I was knocking on doors. Did you? <laughs> yeah. So sad. Oh. Well, um, I know that district well, so uh, it's. And you knocked for me, Ryan. I, we did. We came out awesome. and we came out and You're knocked right. doors. My wife and I did because I said, and I don't know if I, I don't think I knocked on any other doors that that term. But I said we have got to get the law, you know, delegate love out in into the state house because she is. Uh, I'm a passionate advocate and donor, the ACLU, and I mean that. And I still remember that moment back in the. My, one of my favorite movies, The American President, when he was standing at the podium, and this was Michael Douglas, who I think would have probably made a fine president, and and said, and it reminds me of like Mitch, him talking to Mitch McConnell. He said, you know, their their party's most powerful representative and spokesperson uh, is decrying having a membership to the ACLU, and this was back in the '90s. And I'm thinking, well, wait a second. What's wrong with the ACLU? They defend our fundamental liberties. They're a wonderful organization, and uh, I give money to them every year. And I am truly, I, I don't have my wallet on me, but I could show you that I have a card. I'm a card-carrying <laughs> member of the ACLU. You are a card-carrying yes, member. Yes, I am. And that line was, the question is not, why am I a member of the ACLU? The question is, why aren't you? That's right. Yes. And uh, that was at the time when they were taught. And this was, a, you know, Aaron Sorkin is a, is a is famous for over dramatization. And I recommend if you want to watch a, an Aaron Sorkin series and maybe within a week, check out the newsroom on HBO. It's one of my. Oh, all that was so good. I. Uh, yes. And you could not have found better actors. And they, you know, they approached it through a, a two part series or a two and a half part series where. Jeff Daniels plays Will McAvoy and goes on a Don Quixote mission to uh, to humanize and to basically be nice and turn the news back into what it's supposed to be and, and is unafraid to ask hard questions and they take on real events. In about every episode, there is such an emotional appeal that it pulls at the heartstrings and Aaron Sorkin is famous for doing that. So um, I cannot thank you all enough for coming on. A Amy, I... Um, I'm I'm so looking forward to your career, really. I mean, you are remarkable. I think that you are. I I just have so much respect for you and for Delegate Learman and Delegate Smith and Delegate Love and Cassie and Sherry. You guys are just rock stars in your own respects, and I, I'm um, I'm 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 looking forward to to having you all back on here, and uh, as the, uh, you know, I, 
I'll pat my toot my horn here. Is you know one of the go-to podcasts in, in uh, Maryland politics, and there's not many of us, but uh, you know I think we we use this show to talk about hard issues, but we also use this show to get to the bottom and the truth. And the truth is, is that I don't think any of us know what the hell is going to happen in, in a couple of weeks, or even a month, or election day. And that's that's the unpredictability of all of this makes me even feel, you know feel this overwhelming sense of dread, as I said earlier. But I am hopeful that there will be people like yourselves, women, strong women, that my daughter can look to, each and one, each and every one of you, and have role models. And I mean that sincerely. And there's no smoke here. There's no hyperbole. Um, my daughter's 13 years old, and she is a strong, young, independent woman. She's turned into quite an environmentalist recently. And um, I, I said, well, where did this, you know, she'll say, you know, you really need to recycle this or you need to do. And it's fascinating to watch her grow. And uh, you know, she'll watch, we'll be watching the news. And she's like, oh, God. And she'll talk about Trump and she'll talk about these complex ideas that when I was at that age, I had no idea. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really lucky and I'm lucky that my daughter has role models like you all.